0: But to open that up for both of us and for him to go there and reflect on that day and those moments and like really sit with that is really powerful for him. Um, And he's, he's doing the work and he's learning to forgive himself and he's learning to forgive those around him that had caused him pain and abuse that led
1: him down that path. Hey all, welcome to Medicine Stories. I'm Amber Magnolia-Hill. This is episode 70, and today I'm sharing my interview with Amy Maya Woodruff, who has been on the podcast before episode 6, one of the very first ones. It would be not a bad idea to listen to that one first, or maybe afterward, but You know, first would make more sense because she tells the entire story of the murder of her best friend, Cherie, and how she was pregnant at the time and knew immediately upon getting the news that she could not hold on to hate for the drug addicted homeless man who killed her friend. It's very powerful and we talk about a lot more than just that in the episode as well. Like I think you'll absolutely love the part about naming your lineage. Um, It's not just about naming your ancestors, but naming the land that raised you and the waters that raised you and really situating yourself and where you come from in a wide perspective. So it's just a beautiful episode. Number six, check that out. And then this is a follow-up. This is being released on July 24th, 2020, which is the 10-year anniversary of Cherie's death. And what has changed since Maya and I recorded that first podcast is that she found, thanks to that first podcast episode that we did together, she found the man who killed Cherie, and they've been in touch. And that's the story that she's telling today. So it's a true medicine story, just kind of a relax and let it seep in type of story. No need to take copious notes like some of the last few episodes that have been really, really information dense. This one hits the heart, not so much the brain. On Patreon, uh, for free for everyone, you don't have to be a patron, access this, but over there at patreon.com slash medicine stories, Maya has provided a resource of Instagram accounts and podcasts that look at the prison system in America and what's going on right now, which as you'll hear is something she's been learning a lot about since she has been in touch with Omar in prison and something she's becoming passionate about advocating for, advocating against um, you know you know, the prison system is so, so deeply fucked up and such a reflection of the corruption and greed and racism and classism that defines the rest of America. Um, horrific microcosm of the culture that we are all finding ourselves in right now. So that's there and um, her email address is at the bottom if you have any other resources that you would like to share with her because she's really on a deep learning journey on that. And so there's something else on Patreon too. At the end of this interview, Maya and I very unexpectedly and kind of randomly start talking about uterine fibroids, castor oil packs, cleansing, fasting, and digestive health and sharing some of our personal stories on that. So the conversation really takes a turn, but we are all multidimensional beings and I know many of you will appreciate what we talked about. So that's at the end here. And then I recorded just a solo kind of follow-up that's on Patreon for listeners at the $2 a month level. Thank you so much. Um, talking about my experience more with fasting. Uh, It's kind of a controversial subject amongst people who have not done any research into it, Um, but it's something I've been experimenting with for many years now and just had some beautiful healing. And I love the space that it creates in my life and the pause that it gives my body and the time it gives my body to self-heal, whatever is needing to be tended to. Um, so you'll hear me say at the end, I was on day four of a recent juice fast during this conversation. I ended up going nine days and had some really profound insights and shifts happen. So what is there on Patreon is just me talking about that, giving you some resources to learn more. Um, some things I really highly recommend watching and reading and checking out and talking about the difference between juice fasting and water or broth fasting and just all sorts of other things related to the amazing regenerative powers of the body and this toxic world that we are all living in. So that's again at patreon.com slash medicine stories. And that's it. That is it. I am really deeply honored that maya chose this podcast to share this story on. Um, It touched me so much. I know I remember as a kid, I read an article. I think it was probably in Reader's Digest because my mom subscribed to that. And I've always, even since childhood, been someone who would just read any printed word that was put in front of me. So I probably read every word of every Reader's Digest through the late 80s and the 90s. But there was a story about... um, a woman who forgave the man who killed, I think it was her daughter. And I was blown away. I didn't even know that was possible. I was so touched. I thought it was so beautiful. And it always stuck with me. So I feel just truly like a deep sense of honor for being this podcast, being a conduit through which Maya shares her journey with. Omar, and coming into relationship and healing forgiveness for him around the death of beautiful Cherie. So in honor of Cherie, let us listen to this interview with Amy Maya Woodruff. Maya, thank you so much for being with me today, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the story that you have to share. So why don't we start by having you tell folks who haven't listened to episode six, uh, where we first talked about some of the things we're going to talk about today, about Cherie and your friendship with her.
0: Hi, Amber. Thank you for having me back. Um, I felt honored to be here and honored to sit and share this story um, about my friendship with Cherie and um, our path together and where it has brought um, us in this moment and this here and now. Um, Cherie and I met when we were 18. Um, We were working at the mall together (laughs) and um, she worked at a clothing shop across the way and um, I was working at a hair salon, and we had both recently split with our boyfriends. Um, and I would go in there and shop, and so I, I was familiar with her. And one day we just started talking, and um, realized that we had both just parted with our boyfriends. So we were, um, we were like, we should hang out, and so we did. Um, and she was really fun and loved good music. And um she was like a little fairy. She was small. I think she was probably maybe five, four, five, three. I think she was five, three. She's smaller than I am. Um and yeah, we just connected immediately and just like started spending all of our time together and going out together and going on adventures together. And going down to the beach a lot and going to clubs, dancing and going to concerts and shows. And, um, that was really the foundation of our friendship, um, was just, yeah, being young together and, you know, just had come out of high school. So there was a lot of freedom. Um, and yeah, so that, That was kind of the beginning of our friendship. And then we moved in together. Um, Shortly after that, we moved down to Newport Beach. Um, We were both living um, in the Inland Empire at the time. And um, we moved to Newport and we got a house down at the beach, right at the beach. We lived down there for a few years together. Um, And then she met her first husband. Um, He was Australian. And, um, I ended up going to Europe for a few months and she moved to Australia to be with her husband. Um, so we were apart for about two years and she came back, um, to the States and, um, and I was back from Europe and I was living up in San Clemente. And so we moved back in together then, um. And that, I think we were, we lived in that house together for a few years. And then I moved to New York for four years. She moved down to LA. Um, She was working as a stylist and she's always been in the fashion industry. Um, So she was working down there. And and I moved back from New York, moved to LA. We moved in together again. Um, So we lived in seven different houses together over a period of 13 years. Um, and, you know, I think she was the first woman that I could truly look into that, look into her eyes and, and tell her that I love her. And, um, I'm going to pull up a picture of her that I have here. (laughs) Yeah, we just had a bond that I had never um, experienced and shared with another sister before. Um, and it was so special and anyone that knew us knew how deep our bond was and we were always together. And um, it was just rare. And so, um, yeah, after we, after we had lived in that space in LA, um, she met her fiance, Adam. And so she had moved in with him and they were living in Los Angeles in Studio City. And um and I met Augustine and Augustine and I moved to New Zealand together. And um we after a year in New Zealand, we had gotten pregnant with Naya. So Sheree and I were still talking a lot when I was in New Zealand. And I remember I called her from a payphone from the South Island. And um and I was going to tell her that, you know, I was pregnant. And when we got on the phone together, she was like, I have to tell you something. And um, she shared that she had become engaged, her and Adam. And so then I shared that I was pregnant. So we were both just like celebrating um, these monumental moments in our life. And um, I was getting ready to come back to move back to Kauai. um, And then... I think we went back to the islands for a bit and then I came to the mainland for my blessing way. And, um, Sheree was getting married in September and Naya was doing October. And so I came back in July to the mainland and we spent the last week of her life together. She came out to my family's house and, um, we just caught up cause you know, I'd been living in New Zealand for that year and, um, just had a really beautiful, beautiful week together. And um, at the Blessing Way, we w- went around in a circle with all of the women there and just kind of reflected and shared about our friendship. And um, and when it got to Cherie, we just had no words to share with each other. And we just stared into each other's eyes and... Um, I asked everyone to take a breath for us. So we all took a breath together. And um, I just said, sometimes there's no words. And I walked over to her and we just hugged. And um, and then she passed that next weekend, which is coming up on 10 years. So um, July 24th, 2010, which is also um, the birth date of my grandma, Lena.
2: Mm. Um, yeah
1: so that's just so special that you, that you had that moment of fully acknowledging one another and who you were to each other like how amazing mm-hmm. how many people I know have- yeah, most of us don't yeah. get that when our loved <laughs> ones pass. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't know that, that that was your grandmother's birthday also. So tell us about Cherie's death and about
2: Omar. Um,
0: so... Sheree and her mom had went out that day to look for her wedding dress. Um, And they had found a dress for her and they had came back later that day and it was close to evening. Um, She passed around 7.30. So um, they came back to her house and Adam, her fiance was there and um, Sheree went outside to walk her mom to the car to tell her goodbye. And then Adam came out at the same time and he said he was going to run to the store really quick and he'd be back in like 20 minutes. Um, So Cherie went back inside the house and um, Omar was a transient man who was homeless um, on the streets of Los Angeles. And um, he was addicted to... Meth and crack cocaine. And he broke into, um, he came through the back door and he came in to rob her. Um, he didn't know that she was in the house. So he came in to, to rob the house. He went into the refrigerator, he drank a, a beer. And then I believe that she was in her back room. I think she was cleaning or doing something. And he came in there and She scared him, he scared her and um, he stabbed her to death um, with a shank. And um, recently I found out that he also had a pipe. So um, he said that it was a kitchen pipe. Um, So he had the shank and the pipe and then he sat their house on fire. Um, and he was still in the house when Adam came home. And Adam came through the door and saw him. And Adam chased him um, for a long ways. And he couldn't catch him. So um, all that they ever had of him for nine months was just a drawing that Adam, like a composite drawing that Adam had shared with the police. Um, and so for a long time, um, we just had this drawing of him and we didn't know who he was and, um, he did end up dropping an iPod that he had and that's how they ended up catching him. Um, nine months later was through the fingerprints on an iPod that was
1: dropped and found. Mm-hmm. So he was already like in the system. They had his fingerprints.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had, uh, several other charges of robbery and um some like abuse of women how um, like, old I, was I believe they were like ex girlfriends maybe um mm. he was the same age as shree um and born very close to the same day um so shree was 36 when let's see okay 35. Shereem was 35 and he was 35. And they were both born in the same county within days from one another.
2: Wow.
1: So, okay. We, on the first interview, we talked a lot about how you took the news of Sheree's death, being very pregnant with your daughter and how Beautifully you held that in yourself, knowing that you were carrying this life inside of you and how you honored Cherie while also honoring yourself and your baby growing inside of you. And so I'm gonna tell folks to just listen to that because it's so beautiful, Maya, the way that you the way that you held everything, the way that you held death and life so strongly at the same time. But during these nine months, were you, how did you? Was it unsettled for you that he hadn't been caught? Did you have anger towards him during that time, or were you already holding a space of loving forgiveness? Um
0: I I was scared. I was afraid. I, I remember just feeling like eerie, like I didn't want to see him. I wanted him to get caught, but like I feel I feel that, you know just thinking back of um, like Cherie's biggest fear was what happened to her, which is another thing I think I talked about that on the podcast. She was just like really careful and didn't ever want to go out at night. and like, you know, like if we were at home or whatever, like late night, not go to the grocery store or something like that, you know, like always locking the doors and just feeling like um, just kind of, Yeah, she just had a fear around, um, I think just around the same exact thing that happened to her. Um, And so I thought about that a lot during that time and reflected a lot on that, if that was something that she knew um, was going to happen to her or if that was something that she manifested through her own thoughts, you know? Um, so I, I think I was just afraid to actually see him because then it made it more real
1: where it wasn't just a drawing of like someone. Um, but to actually see the human who made your best friend's worst nightmare come true.
0: Mm-hmm. And, then, and then once he was caught to see him and all of his different mug Um, and like, see all the different charges that he already had against him. And he was on parole and, um, and was supposed to be checking in and he wasn't, um, so, yeah. Um, he, he ended up fleeing to Mexico, which is where he's from originally. And he was caught, um, in Tijuana, the federal um, agents were looking for him there as well, and so um, he was caught there. And so, of course, there was—it felt good to know that that they had found him and that he wasn't out there on the streets because, you know, he was a danger to society. And um, and so, I think that felt good for everyone to know that, that he had been caught. Um, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And, um, I remember I didn't go to any of the hearings because I was in Hawaii at that time and I had just had Naya and, um, I know that he took a moment and shared with Sheree's family and friends. If I could give my life for her, I would. And he apologized to her family. And that was it. And um, so, you know, I've thought about him so much over the last 10 years. Um, And... I think, you know, I shared in that first podcast that um, I just had to move into a place of forgiveness right away because I was carrying, I had a baby, a child that was growing within me. So I was dealing with life and death at the same time. And I was working a lot um, with death and reading a lot of Krishnamurti and his teachings on death. And so I felt like I was almost preparing myself for that. Um, But I always have thought of him. Um, and so I started to kind of dabble and search for him in the system, um, and just curious about his whereabouts. And, um, so I looked for him a lot starting probably like three or four years after she had passed, I started looking for him and it turns out I had the wrong birth date. So her birthday is December 10th. And I was told that they had the same birthday, so I was searching for him under her birthday. Okay, I thought I as well. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his birthday is actually December second. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, I would like pop online and and search for him every every now and then, and then last May, um, I was at my family's house. I was getting ready to come up to Oregon um, to start the summer here and, um, my parents had redone their will. Um, and so they asked if all of us kids could come to the house and meet with this man who was going to, um, he had been helping them redo everything and shifting people in and out. Um, and so, yeah, we met with with my family that day and this man, I forget his name now, but he was really amazing human and we ended up talking for a long time and really connecting. And um he told me that whenever he works with families, he always looks them up online just to kind of see who they are, to see the families that he's working with. So he told me, he was like, you know, like I looked you up online and I came across this podcast that you had done. Um with you, Amber, and, um, and he's like, I listened to it. And I was like kind of surprised at first and I was like, huh, interesting, See, he an older man um, and he said, you know, I really appreciated the story that you had shared about the man who took your best friend's life. And he's like, I, I, you shared that you were having a hard time finding him in the system. So um, he's like, I, if you are still interested, I can maybe help find him. I think he like, you know has some connections or something, I don't know. And I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, I'm definitely interested. And I had my computer in front of me because we were like signing stuff for the will. Um, and I went on to the same website, like right in that moment as we're talking, type in his name, type in the information and he shows up right there. And I'm just like, wow, like here he is. <laughs> After like looking so many times for him, and so that was big of finding him, and then seeing that he was in um, Chukawa State Prison, which was just three hours from my parents' house. There's a beautiful butterfly that's flying by right now, which is always the way that Sheree shows up. Oh, Yeah. <laughs>
1: um.
0: So yeah, it was just three hours from my family's house. So that was really. Big finding him and knowing where he was. Um, So that summer, which was last year, um, I just started feeling into what it would look like if I wrote to him and if I got in contact with him. Um, So I started looking into it of what, you know, how do you approach this situation? I had never wrote to a prisoner before. Um, So just what I had found online was just like words of advice was, you know, don't write too much the first time you write to them because you want to respect where they're at. You don't know where they're at. Um, And so start out simple. And then if they, you know, um, allow them to respond back in whatever way they need. Um, So I, I, I had planned to write him and I was at my friend Paz's house in LA and she had this book called symbols and it's like a really thick book and you put your hand on the front and you just kind of tune in and ask a question or just sit with it. And then you open the page, um, to whatever one of these symbols. And, um, so I put my hand on it and I was with a bunch of my friends and when I opened it, I opened a prison and everyone was just like prison. Like, what is that? I've never seen like." And I, you know, I'm like, I know exactly what this is. Um, So that was kind of the first sign. And then I was driving up to Oregon and I stopped at um, the co-op here in Ashland. And on out front, there was a billboard that said, write to a prisoner. And it was a paper that someone had put up there. And it just shared like, you know, it's very lonely in the prison system. Oftentimes we don't have connection to the outside if you feel called to write and it was like a list of people that you can write to women, it was all women actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, wow. Okay. Um, so I wrote to him the first time last July around this time, actually. Um, and so keeping in mind what I had learned about writing to them (laughs) definitely didn't, um, I couldn't do it because as soon as I started writing, just so much was coming out. And I don't even remember what I wrote to him that first time. I remember a little bit, um, but I know it was about five pages. And I know that um, what I did write to him and what I wanted to know was about his life. And I wanted to know about his connection with his mother and his connection with his father and his family, and what led him to that day. Um, and I had shared a bit about my process with it all, and my friendship with Cherie and where I was at when it happened, like where I was at, you know, mentally and physically, um, that I was carrying life and um. I told him right in that letter, I I forgive you and I forgive you. I forgave you from the moment that it happened and all that I could think about this whole time. is just what led you down this path and what happened in your life that brought you to do something like this.
2: And I think I even told him
0: that I loved him and that I was, I was here and that, um, I was open to talk and that I felt that as part of my healing journey, his healing journey, that, um, I wanted to start this dialogue and if he was open to it, then I'm here. And if he's not, then I respect his decision. And that was that, um, so about a month later, I got the first um, mail from him, which was
2: crazy and wild. Just so
0: I went to the PO box and opened it and there it was. And this is the letter. <laughs> um, so I went down to the river and I opened it and I just um, read it and cried and <sighs> um so at this point now we've been writing to each other for a year and um there's been so much and it's been such a beautiful deep healing journey for both of us and um his response back in that first email was that he was he was raised by his grandparents in tijuana and. um, He said that he was raised poor and he was raised um, selling his grandmother's tamales in the streets there. And he said that he loved his grandparents and um, they were very good to him. And when he was about 10 years old, he was sent to the States to live with his birth mother and stepfather. And he said that's when he first started to experience abuse was through them. Um So he said that those years of his life were very hard, and when he met um, he met his high school sweetheart, and he ended up moving in with his high school sweetheart, and he said that was the first time that he had ever um, experienced love like that since living with his grandparents. and so he said her family really took him in and um, and were good to him and and then he started college and he said, that's when he found drugs and alcohol. Um, so, you know, when he told me that I just thought about like, that's what so many of us do, you know, it's such a common thing. And we all know people who have been addicted to, to drugs and who have even tried meth, you know, and just, He's a victim of, of drug abuse, and which is what led him down this path. It really, it really was, he got caught up um, in drugs and alcohol and abuse um, of the substances. And so for 20 years, he was addicted to crystal meth and crack cocaine and alcohol. <sighs> From the time that he was 20 up until three years ago. So he's been sober now for three years and he's going on four years. Um, so that means he was using in prison? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, of course we weren't led to come into each other's lives until now. You know, it totally makes sense that... That... We've connected now. After he's been sober for, at that point, it was three years.
1: Now it's going to be four. Um, yeah. What What spurred him to get sober? I haven't asked him that, but thank you because that's a really good question. Yeah.
2: Um. He. He's learning to smell
0: to taste, to feel again after 20 years. Like he's, he's very childlike in many ways. Mm. Um, and he gets excited about little things like when he finds the, um, like the definition of a word that he doesn't know. He doesn't have very many books. Um, he has like an encyclopedia and like a Bible. I think that that's really what helped him was finding, uh, God, you know, there's a lot of, um, support in the prison system in that way. And so I think that that was really like what kind of kicked it off was, um, finding God and that has helped his path a lot. Um, and then learning to forgive himself. Um. yeah, so he, he has, you know, I started off, we started off very slow and just building a lot of trust. And that's really what it was in the beginning was just us building trust together. And you know, I definitely, there's been times where I've, like, questioned what he's telling me, which I think is natural, you know, or, or I'm like, is he really sober? Is Because little things that he says sometimes, but I realize it's from years of drug abuse. Yeah. That's really what it is. Um,
2: and I feel like, I think the biggest thing has been
0: um, like her family, Cherie's family and being afraid to share with them and to tell them because I haven't told anyone so far besides, you know, my family and my closest friends. And that's been very little. It's kind of been, I've really been dedicating this last year to this work with him. Um, and everything else seems so small compared to this work that we're doing together. And so a lot of my time and energy has gone into relationship building with him and trust building. Um, So I've been really afraid to share with her family. Um, And just recently he asked, he wrote her her mom a letter and asked that I would give it to her when the time felt right. so I did reach out to Sheree's mom two weeks ago and I wrote her and I shared with her um, about this last year. And I haven't heard back from her. Um, and I haven't sent the letter to her. I'm keeping it until I hear from her, but I think that's been I've just been really sensitive with that part of things, understandably, you know. Um, her mom is a beautiful woman and and I feel she's still very angry, you know, rightfully so. And so I don't, I don't know how she will respond to this. Um, but I've found, fi- I've found myself over the last year going into, so. Yeah, I'll just, let me, I'll share a little bit more just about our letters together and kind of about him and where he's at. Um, yeah, it's been a slow building process, and he shared with me that he has a son and he has a daughter, and they're teenagers now. And I don't think he has contact with his daughter. He has a little bit of contact with his son, um, and so a lot of a lot of the first few months were just sharing uh, about different things. And I opened up and shared with him about Sheree. He, he didn't know obviously anything about her at all. Um, so I think it was really healing for him to hear about her, this person's life that he took and what she liked and the things that she was into. And, um, he told me that he took a like history of rock and roll class in prison um, because we, we used to love classic rock. We listened to a lot of classic rock together. So, and, and he is, he has been drawing pictures of butterflies because he knows that she loves butterflies and that's how she, she has shown up um, for me. And you know, his letters are just every time he writes to me, he's, he still apologizes. And he's deeply, deeply sorry. And now that he's sober, he is feeling everything. And it's hard for him um, because he, he's going through it all. And he's allowing himself to feel the pain that he's caused for Cherie's family, her mother, her friends, his family everyone around him because for so long, it's something that he's pushed aside. Um, so, and I keep reminding him, like, you know, I keep encouraging him, like, keep going, keep going. You're doing amazing. It's natural to have, you know, I've kind of just became like, I've become a big support system for him. He doesn't have a lot of contact um, with anyone on the outside at all. He has a brother that he's, that, um, he's recently connected with and his mother and father live up in Northern California. And, um, his dad, I think his stepdad is sick and his mom just had a stroke. So it felt like he was doing really good when we first started talking, um, for months. Um, and then when COVID hit, um, he, he had been
2: trying to get a transfer up to,
0: Kokorin. Is that it? Do you know? Um, yeah, it's Kukoran. It's up like in between Bakersfield and San Jose, I believe, out in the desert. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to get a transfer there so that he could see his mom um, because she's getting older. And so he was really working on that. He finally got a transfer and it happened right before COVID hit. And then as soon as COVID hit, everything you know, in the prison system right now, is just, it's awful. And so I would started to get letters from him like every week where it was like once a month, we would write to each other and then they were coming in every week and he was super stressed and a lot of anxiety and fear with what was happening in the prisons. Like he was going from a level two um, which means that he had like a little bit of freedom to to still do things like go outside a certain amount of time per day, take a shower at least once a day um, to level four, which is like you get one shower a week and then maybe you get to go outside. I think it's different in every prison, but you get to go outside for um, you know just not a lot of privileges. Um, and that was hard because he'd worked really hard to get to the level two. And, um, and so he was seeing like the prison, um, like the nurse and a psychologist there and going in for support. And of course, guess what they're trying to offer him there is drugs. Like take this pill, you know, for this. And he's just like, I can't take that. Like I'm, I'm working on my sobriety. and. And so I had given him some breathing exercises that, um, he had been working on and he said that that was really helping him a lot. Um, but I've found myself advocating for him quite a bit. And it's interesting because in the beginning I kept having to question like my feelings because I started to care for him and, and then I'm like, wait, am I like, But Cherie's gone and just, there's just so much deep programming, you know, like how can you care for this person or try and advocate for this person who took your best friend's life and all these things coming up. And every time I sat and tuned in, it was like, this is the right thing to do. He doesn't, yes, he's in prison for the rest of his life. And, you know, it doesn't, I don't forget what has happened, you know, but he's, he's, he is a human being and he has rights, you know, as a human. And what's happening right now in the prison system is awful, and he's experiencing it. And so, I want to do what I can to help him. Um, And so, I've gotten in touch with his parole officer, and that was really interesting as well because um, that was the man who defended him in court that day, which I realized later. Um, Yeah, he had asked me to contact him and let him know what was happening inside the prison. Um, and he was going like, you know, open dorm living to like a tiny cell um, in confinement. And so I had called and shared with um, his parole officer what was happening with him and, you know, asked like, are you familiar with, you know, his name is Omar. And he was just like, yeah, like, I know this case very well. um And so I've been in touch with him often and just so that he can have like some sort of rights in there right now. And I think it's lifted a little bit, like he's definitely doing better. Um, but it was really intense for a few months and I was taking, I've, I was taking on a lot of it on top of, you know, what we were dealing with here on the outside with it and um, just our own personal experience with, COVID, um, but it felt, and it feels important to, um, to help him and to be there and to just use my voice and to do what I can. Um, so there's little things like he, he, he has like a tablet that he can connect, um, and send like text messages through, or I'm not sure what it is, but it's like $200, you know, and he bought it and it was lost. And like, it got delivered to the prison, but he never received it. Mm -hmm. So little things like that, where I'm like helping him track things and just a lot of things that he can't do from the outside. Um, But, you know, he definitely shares with me, how grateful he is for, um, for our friendship. And I feel like we're just on a beautiful healing journey together. And, um, and, you know, I feel that Shuri saved his life because he was on the path to overdose, you know, so much. And now he's getting a chance to live again. and it's so beautiful. Like I said, just the, the childlike part of him that comes out when he's talking about feeling again and smelling and like all of these things that were taken from him through the the drug abuse. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, he just, I actually just received a letter from him yesterday and, um, Yeah, he says, by the way, I had to look up the word extraordinary. I think maybe I wrote that to him in one of my letters. Um, and yeah, just little things like that. You know, something else that he did um, in November. So yeah, when, when we had started to build trust together, I, I had questions about that day that I wanted to ask him. Um, And so I had wrote him a letter that had just had like a bunch of questions. Like, did you know that she was in the house when you went in there? Um, Tell me what happened, like from your end. And so he wrote to me and he said, before I um, move forward and share any of this, I feel it's important that I ask for your husband's permission to be in connection with you and to be communicating in this way. Um, so he wrote Augustine a separate letter. Um and, and then Augustine wrote him back. And um and Augustine just shared, like, of course, yes, I, I support this relationship between the two of you. And um, and so you know, I really appreciated that he did that. Um And so he wrote to me and shared, you know, we, we've went into that day several times together and he just shared like, you're not, you are not in your body when you're high. Um, He just doesn't remember even a lot of the last 20 years at all. Um, And his story matched what I knew. The only other detail that I learned was just that he had a pipe and he told me like, as homeless person on the streets. This is something that you do like you you carry a weapon, you know, so That's why he had the shank and that's why he had this pipe and he said he thinks it was some sort of kitchen pipe Um, so that was one thing and He didn't know that she was in there I mean he told me everything up until he said that he remembers drinking a beer, which was I already knew that was in the police report Um, and but to open that up for both of us and for him to go there and reflect on that day and those moments and like really sit with that is really powerful for him. Um, and he's, he's doing the work and he's learning to forgive himself and he's learning to forgive those around him that had caused him pain and abuse that led him down that path.
2: Um, And so
0: yeah, it's become a big part of my life, this connection. And, um, I think that when the time is right, I would like to meet with him in person. And I feel like I have taken on another child in a way, (laughs) um, just because he is a part of our life now and he's a part of our family's life. And, you know, Naya knows who he is and Naya doesn't know details of the story. um, But there's a lot that she's learning through this as well.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where, where we're at right now. And you know, also, I feel like just even diving into the anti-racism work over the last several years has been such a big part of all of this as well because this work goes hand in hand with the prison system, you know, so i'm I've learned so much um, just about that and um, and the conditions of the prison, the prison system and just all of it um so it just feels so divinely guided in so many ways and yeah i just i'm grateful for him that he's willing to go there with me and he's willing to sit with it and and like really uh really look at everything and and some days are harder for both of us you know like um sometimes i hear from him and he's just he's struggling and um yeah yeah but i we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary and so um and so i felt that i was ready to share especially because i had communicated with her mom and i had let her mom what was going on know what was going on um and because I had shared a little bit on your podcast before so I just I thought of you because I was um like well and and it's just so interesting how this all came through this man listening to your podcast that day that um led me to find him And so I I have been wanting to share a little bit more about it and where we're at with things now and our journey together um, and just thought like maybe I could do a blog post or writing about it, but there's just so much that um, it feels really good to just speak to it and um, and just share, yeah.
1: It's like I feel healed hearing this story. I feel healed hearing about your healing and his healing together. And while I totally understand that some people cannot do what you've done here, mm-hmm. since you could do it, I'm so glad you did do it. You know I, I admire it so much, and it it just hits me as the right thing, and it has from the beginning. And it's almost like you finding the forgiveness in your heart from the very beginning. You know, even though you weren't in touch with him, it opened some door. It opened some door in the universe and really laid the foundation for what has become now this healing relationship between the two of you. And I think too about addiction, you know, like it it wasn't Omar who killed Sheree, it was meth who killed Sheree. And like, Mm -hmm. they You know, we've talked about alcoholism in our families before in that podcast we did too, but it really shifted things for me with my dad just in the last year when I I was with him and I saw like, he's not even Gary anymore. He's alcohol. And so you being able to see him, see his humanity, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: when that's just what prison does, right? It strips your humanity from you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
0: at first, you know, I was thinking about like, he was born a perfect being into this world, you know, and then learning about ancestral trauma and that we carry that through when we come in. And so, you know, who knows what's underneath all of that. But yeah, you
2: know,
0: it's, there'll be times, too, where I'll find myself, like, angry at someone, and then I have to, like, think, like, wow, if you can forgive this man, then how can you even hold on to this little bit of anger that you're feeling for this person right now? You know, so it's been, like, such a beautiful teacher in that way, um, to constantly just, like, reflect and forgive and move forward. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about, you know, like you and Owen right now, and I know that, you know, your parents both passed through someone else's mistake, you know, and we've talked about that as well. Like having to, even if it's not like a violent crime, really looking at that and and facing that and forgiveness can be so liberating. And I didn't know it at the time, you know, it was almost just like my, I I have to do this. I can't carry any fear or anger or hate or judgment in my body right now when I'm carrying new life. I have to move through this. Um, But I didn't know how powerful and healing it was until I really started doing the work with it. Um, There's a podcast um, with, his name is Shaka Singar that Oprah um, interviewed. And um, it's so beautiful. I recommend it. But it's it's about a man who committed murder and he had um, the victim's family write to him in prison and, um, and express that they had forgiven him. And to hear it from his side um, was so beautiful. And Omar's told me, you know, he just said that he's just When he first received my letter that he just cried and cried and cried. And that's powerful, you know, and, and it's, it's hard to forgive, but it's so easy too. Mm -hmm.
1: Totally. Yeah. um, With my mom, the woman in her twenties who hit her, um, it really wasn't her fault. You know, an accident earlier in the day had knocked out the stoplight and they had not put up proper signage. So I, I do have anger towards the government agencies that chose literally we're like, we don't want to put the signage up. You know, at this point, there's been depositions and we've, we read exactly what happened that night and who dropped the ball. Um, but with Owen's dad who just passed less than a month ago, <laughs> the day we're talking, it was a drunk driver. It was a 29 year old woman. And When we got her name, we looked her up. No Facebook, nothing. The only thing online about her is a previous alcohol-related conviction um, five years ago when she was 24. So that just immediately told us she has a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And... It, literally, that's still, t- that's the only thing we know about her and that she was care that night. And we just, we keep meaning to check back in with the detective or the investigating officer and we keep putting it off, but we'll do that soon. But seeing that just kind of immediately put forgiveness into my heart. Who knows if you're already an alcoholic by 24, what, mm-hmm. what happened in your life?
0: And anyone can become a victim of drug abuse. You know, we, like I said, we all know people who've been through that. Um, it, and, you know, even Sheree's own brother had, um, had addiction with meth. Wow. We used to call it speed back in the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Probably still called speed, but, um. Yeah. I remember that she hated that. He, he'd get on like a speed binge and then she wouldn't see him and he spent time, he was in and out of jail as well. Um, so, you know, Cherie's mom, like she knows what that's like to care for someone and love for someone and love someone who has addiction problems.
2: Right. Um,
0: but I am like, I'm really curious about um, Cherie's mom and how she's going to respond back. And of course it like, gets her, it's her own journey,
1: you know, uh, but yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's easy for me to forgive these people who killed my mom and my father-in-law. But when I think about my child, that, mm-hmm. that would be a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when I said earlier that Omar didn't kill Sheree, meth killed Sheree, I, I feel like that might trigger some people. And I want to really speak to like the complexity of addiction and how, of course there is still agency that people have, but that really these hardcore addictive drugs and alcohol rewire our neurology so deeply that we just become different people or like ghost-like people, just mm-hmm. shells who are mm-hmm. all our motivations are the drug. And so it's like all of our, um, all of our behavior just is the drug when we're in that state.
0: Yeah. And that's what he has shared. It's like all he could think about and all he ever would think about, he could do whatever he could just to get the next fix. Yeah. Um, and also I want to share Like I'm, I'm, I have, you know, started to dive deep into the prison system and and reform and all of these things, but I'm also still learning so much about it and it's, I'm just like so hungry for any information. So just, um, the tools that I've been using is, you know, listening to podcasts, reading books, um, following Instagram accounts. And so I do want to put it out there, um, because I want to understand more and it's like, it's hard because we write each other letters and sometimes he doesn't respond to questions that I ask, or he will like two later, two letters later. Um, But there's just a lot that I'm still learning. And, um, and I'm, I want to know more. And I feel like it's a big part of my path now
2: Mm -hmm.
0: to, to help advocate and to just use my voice in whatever way I can. Um, To help not only him, but you know, the prison system is so corrupt, just like everything else. Yeah. Um, But we need more people to share about what's happening. And he, you know, he got life without parole. I need to look into this, but I believe there's three there's three reasons why you can get life without parole, and one of them is like. Um, murder with the intent to also rob. So, because there was burglary and murder, that's why um, he got life without parole. Um, But, you know, these are just things that I have never looked into. Or, you know, as a white woman of privilege, that's not something that I'm paying attention to. But I am now. And, um it's important and definitely feels like it's a big part of my path during this time and even with Augustine you know he's been really supportive but sometimes like i can be maybe a little harder my, on myself or like and and he'll remind me and i've had to tell him like this is my path right now and this is this is where i'm at and i need you to support this and even if you don't understand it or even if you know you you feel a different way I need your support through this time. And that's all I had to say to him. And he was like, got it. Like, I'm here. Um, So he's been really supportive, even though a lot of it is, he doesn't understand because it's not his experience. Um, But I'm learning so
2: much and, and I'm
0: open for, um, if anyone has any, more resources or even yeah just I feel like I'm constantly uh, looking and researching and like I said it's still very new so Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it seems so big and you know of course I'm aware of how fucked up the prison industrial complex is in America but it seems so big and overwhelming and yeah complex and um Mm -hmm but I, yeah, I, and, and now I'm curious and now I want to know what you've read and what your resources are. So maybe we can put a little something together. Mm-hmm. For that.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and I
1: had been hearing too, that COVID was really hitting some prisons very hard and making things a lot harder for prisoners, but I didn't really know what that looked like. And it's helpful to have an individual story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, there's, there's some really great podcasts, um, episodes on what's happening right now in the prison system with COVID. And I can link those. Um, and something else that I just was reminded of was a couple months back, you know, I had asked him, I'll send him stamps and like things like that, you know, that he needs in there. Um, but you can send money. Um, but he has a fine for the crime for taking Shree's life that he'll never be able to repay in there. So if I were to send him any money for anything for like small things, you know, they take like more than 50% of it that goes to this fine. So, um, there's a way that they can do it. Like they can have, you can send money to their friends who don't have, I think it's restitution. Um, and then they can give it to him. But, um, yeah, I had asked him, like, if you need anything, like, I'd really like to send him books, you know, and things like that. Um, But he asked if I would go in half with his brother on getting him a TV. And I was like, I'm not getting you a TV. I don't even watch TV. Like, no way. That's what I was thinking in my mind. Um, But I did share with him, I was like, I'd rather get you, like, books. And, um, you know, but then I was like, you know what, like, if he wants a TV, I'll help him get a TV. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> he did write me recently and shared um, that, like, he would be happy to receive it's some sort of, I don't know what it is. But um, it's some sort of tablet thing that has like 150 books on it already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm going to send that to him. Because you know, you're you love books. and. I feel like there's so many good books that I want to send to him that I
1: feel like can help him. Yeah. Um, And. Then he can have them all in one small space.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, if anyone out there has friends or relatives, loved ones that um, are incarcerated, that have experience, you know, of how I can be in support. Um, In a better way, please reach out and let me know because I only have him, you know. Um, And like I said, we're just writing letters to each other. So I just want to understand more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We were, Sheree's family was going to do the 10 year celebration of life this year. Mm. Um, But because of everything that's happening, they're going to postpone it. But. I found a photo of her recently online that I had never seen before. Um, And she looks so beautiful. And to like find a new photo of your best friend that you haven't seen in 10 years, like a photo that you've never seen before. I've just, I've been looking at it a lot and like just sitting with her and feeling her. And I know that this is what she would want. Mm -hmm. I feel that personally, you know, especially with... The butterflies, like I know it's so typical that, like, you see a butterfly and you think of those who have passed, but like, there's been so many instances where I'm talking about her or I'm calling her in and she shows up. Mm-hmm. It's it's so beautiful.
2: Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank yeah. you. Maya. Yeah. Thank you, Maya. Um. Yeah, just thank you for leading by example, and it's like you create a space in the world for folks when you do this. You create a space to slow down. You know, even just you saying that this has been like a big part of your your life and your work for the last year. I can feel that there's a lot of um, slowness and intention in what you're doing with this, and you're choosing like not to tend to the millions of other things that I'm sure are demanding your attention and instead really work on this deep healing. And that's inspirational and beautiful.
0: Thank you. Feels nourishing in so many ways. Um, and, and also, yeah, just something to give my focus and my attention to that's not like social media, you know, I've just really stepped away from that platform a lot. There's still the spirit weaver space that, um, that I'm focused on and I like to share on, Um, but my personal space right now just feels, um, I think it's just a reflection of where I'm at just being inward and quiet and just taking time out from that world. So good.
1: (laughs) I bet <laughs> I'm using it much less than I ever have, but not a complete step down. Okay, anything else? Well, I'm honored that you reached out and that you shared this story. With me and with the Medicine Stories community, and I feel a lot of love for Omar as well, and a lot of softness around the whole story, and really honoring Sheree. That's 10 years, 10 years gone. It's a big anniversary, and I said a prayer for her before we started, and I'll certainly be thinking about her on the 24th. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ruth. For listening and just for um, for being here with me, again and again, <laughs> I oiled up with um, your with Saint John's Wort before mm. we did that. And <laughs> immediately felt it, and I think I'm getting the the Violet Leaf Castor Oil um, in the mail in the next few days. So, uh-huh. wait for that,
1: <laughs> oh, good,
0: um, yeah, nourishing medicine.
1: Absolutely. And I really find that doing a a castor oil pack, because you have to be still, you know, and Mm -hmm. medicine of castor oil, it is so deeply healing and it is such slowness medicine too. Mm -hmm. really been coming to me. I've been doing it every day for the last week.
0: Yeah, I really, so I found out just, I'll just share briefly. I have a, a fibroid. I have two fibroids one's three inches, one three inches by three inches, one one inch. And I feel like it has started to grow bigger. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm 43. So I think this is like common for them to come during this time. And they say that they shrink after menopause, but I'm just learning about them. Um, and I'm getting, I am a little bit nervous because I know that they're, they're not harmful, but I'm just like I know I can heal this on my own and like I can also have a surgery and have it removed but my mom's just like don't do it it'll go away it's not causing me pain but it's definitely like making my tummy bloated Mm. um so I've been doing a lot of herbal teas and nettles and milky oats and red raspberry leaf and um and then the castor oil packs and yeah, I so look forward to it. And I, I had been doing them and then I saw your video <laughs> and that you had shared. Um and yeah, I'm really finding that healing right now. Not only just what's happening, but yeah, like you said, just giving ourselves that time and space to rest and just be and like I'll read a book or listen to a podcast and just for like an hour and just drop out and so.
1: That's been really nourishing. Yeah. And when I've done Instagram posts in the past about the violet leaf castor oil, I've had a lot of comments of people saying that they successfully shrunk their fibroids with castor oil packs. That's awesome. I'm so, yeah, I I've,
0: I don't know anyone who has them. I know that a lot of women have them, but I haven't come
1: across them. Uh, I have one actually. Um, I suspected it was there for a long time. And then when I got an ultrasound, when I was pregnant with Nixie about four years ago, they they're like you have one and they showed me where it was and I was like yep that's exactly where I feel it. Oh, yeah. How big was yours? Did they say? I don't remember if they said. I don't think it was very big. Like when you said three by three inches, I was like wow that's I don't that sounds big. I can yeah see, I can, feel, feel, it. See I can feel, feel it that
0: and feel it. Yeah. In the morning time, like when my bladder's full and I'm laying on my back, mm-hmm. like I don't. I try not. Yeah. I don't feel it until the morning. And then I'm like, there it is (laughs) like pops up and I can feel it. And I'm like, I think it's growing. Um, so that's why I've really started to focus on drinking the tea and the herbs and doing the castor oil packs.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, Alyssa Vitti in the flow FLO, that's her book. And then she also has a website. She has so much good information, any sort of like female bodied issue. She is an amazing expert on the whole menstrual cycle and everything that can happen with us. So I recommend that too. And then I want to tell you too, since we're still recording and by the way, I'm good on time. Um, I am juice fasting right now. Mm. We had checked in a few months ago. You were doing an extended juice fast and I was doing just a shorter water and broth fast, but I'm on day four of a juice fast right now. And it was it was because of Owen's dad's death and just the incredible stress of the last three and a half weeks and traveling and just eating mm-hmm. much more inflammatory foods than usual. Mm-hmm. I was my immunity was super low from the exhaustion of early grief and I was like, I need a reset. yeah and so I'm on day four and I feel amazing. it's yeah. it's been like the easiest fast I've ever done. I'm like, I don't I'll eat food soon, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know there's so much you know I I really. I used to
0: do a lot more cleansing, um, and I haven't done it for a few years, but I think there was so much controversy too about, you know, the juice cleanse and fasting and all these things, Yeah. but my body thrives when I cleanse, it does. And it, like you said, it's just a reset. And like, I find that I can keep going and keep going once I get going. Um, but <laughs> And I love making food when I'm cleansing. That's yeah, my way said- to food. <laughs> yeah. So my family's always like, You're cleansing. All right. Awesome. Because I'm always like in the cookbook and like, what can I make? And just smelling it. And um, but I I have I feel like now because I just yeah, I did that one. I think I did a 15 day one back in September when I got back to the islands. Um, I think I'm just going to keep that ritual going every year when I get back there. Mm. Um, And also it's so hot and humid there. And like, it's a lot easier to cleanse in those situations. Um, So yeah, I feel like just like a, a 10 day for me, the 10 days work really well, but it's like any extra weight or water that I'm carrying, it's. That's for me personally, that's how, if I want to drop a couple pounds and it's just because, you know, we all know what our body feels like when we're in like, um, what do I want to say? We all know how we like our body to look and feel, you know, it's different for everyone, but I know when I'm carrying around some extra pounds and if I do a juice cleanse, it just melts away. Totally. And then like my digestion's back. Yep. I'm eating lighter. I can get on the intermittent fasting thing yeah. again. So
1: yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, day four is really good. Yeah, totally. Um yeah. It's like when I when I am carrying around the extra pounds, I'm like, this is fine. I still love myself. It's okay. Totally. And, yeah. and then also though, this I know this isn't the optimal place for my body to be. We do mm-hmm. all have like an optimal zone yeah. of yeah. weight and shape. And um, at some point it just doesn't feel good anymore. And yeah. so then when I'm also feeling internally with my immunity, especially because three days of fasting completely resets the immune system. There's a lot of science mm-hmm. around that. Um, and I'm like, perfect. And yeah, exactly. I'm like, I could work out hard for like the next six months and maybe lose the same amount of weight that I would lose. Just yeah. doing a brief juice fast.
0: That's what happens with me. I'll work out and I'll go in, you know, I'll be like six months, so strong working out, but I see my body changing, but it's with, with cleansing. That's really what like takes it to a place quickly yeah, um, where I want to be. And I, and I love working out too. And and I like working out because, you know, this, it strengthens my body. Um, but just there's something of just like, yeah, the cleansing that is, it feels quicker and it's also, it's just so beneficial in so many ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For anyone listening, who's never looked into it at all. Like, you know, what happens when you're fasting is that all that energy that normally goes to digestion, which is a huge percentage of the daily energy your body is building up or using up, um, gets gets diverted into whatever needs to be healed and whatever needs to be addressed in the body. So it's just this amazing mm-hmm. form of self healing where whatever needs needs the healing is going to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember too when we were talking over the winter time that you said you were getting colonics throughout your. We were both cleansing at the same time, both fasting. Mm-hmm. And you encouraged me to do it. And I was kind of like, maybe I don't, and I ended up not doing it, but then I was talking to my friend, my best friend who does colonics and I had had some pretty bad symptoms the last couple of days of fasting. And she was like, you probably just had some poop in there that needed to come out. You know, She's like an expert, of course, on all this because this yeah. is her job. And she yeah. told me, and this is what really made it click for me. When you're not eating, of course, peristalsis shuts down. So your, your digestion shuts down. So if you do have um, poop sitting there in your gut, it's not, it's not moving out unless you do something mm-hmm. like or start eating again mm-hmm. after a few days, at least, you know? So yeah. you're, that's my point. And I'm getting one tomorrow. Thanks to you. <laughs> oh,
0: that's amazing. Oh, that's great. It's, it's so, it's wild to see what comes out of you. Yeah, And it's <laughs> cool. If you have a good, um, chronic therapist who can like, guide you to what's coming out. They're yeah, like, oh, gosh, yeah, this is that. really old. Look like at this. There's um, that. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh my God. Okay. Thank God. That's leaving. And they'll kind of like when you get toward the end, they'll kind of like coax you, do you want to do one more flash? And you're like a lot of times I'm like, no, I'm done. But then I know if I just do that one last one, then I'll get another big release. And then you're like, yes, you just feel so good. And there's a um my um colon um the woman who does my cleanses shared with me that th- a story about this girl who had swallowed a barbie shoe when she was a child and like her mom looked through her poop for weeks for it and could never find it and it came out in her um uh, one of her sessions oh my god like <laughs> one of those pink barbie high heels <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So you don't know what is stored
1: in there. Wow. That yeah. is so funny. And that's so motherhood too. Like <laughs> going through your kids' poops for a few weeks. Um, I know. Well, I remember you told me too, when we were texting about that, that you read something that we have up to like 13 pounds. Was that it? Of poop at a time in our bodies? Some yeah. amount. Yeah. Yes.
0: yeah. It's wild. I mean, yeah. I'm happy that you're getting one. Let me know how it goes. I'm curious.
1: I will. I did it once last year with her, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't when I was fasting. But she's been for like 20 plus years. She's been experimenting with fasting and cleansing and clonics and enemas. And she said, I think you said this too, that when she's juice fasting and she gets a clonic, she is like high afterwards, like mm-hmm. clear and just feeling like the best way she can feel.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of like if I'm have like things that I've been sitting on or things that I'm wanting to do that time. If I'm cleansing, I'm always like, okay, this is the time where I'm going to drop in and meditate and really like tune in deeply about these things that have been coming up that I haven't taken the time to sit with. Um, so it's not only just like the cleansing of our bodies, but I feel when like you're the clarity in your mind as well. And what can come forth when you're, when you're cleansing. Um, And, you know, I love the I Ching, so that's something else that I love to do when I'm cleansing is just, like, every day go deep into the I Ching, and um, it's just really helpful. A really beautiful guide and tool.
1: Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. You taught me how to do the I Ching a few years ago. So... I'm glad we went there. It's fun to talk about those kind of things. And thank you for the inspiration also and the um just like guidance around the fasting. <sighs> okay. Um I love you. It's amazing to see your face here on the Zoom call. And thank you for everything you've brought into my life over the years that we've been weaving together.
0: Yes. Thank you, Amber. I love you too. And give Owen a big hug and just sending you guys a lot of love during this time and thinking of you and holding you close. Be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more. More than I can list there. MythicMedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, Which Healing Herb is Your Spirit Medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories, It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there, and I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning, and behind-the-scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E. S-I-O-U-X, from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.